what the Supreme Court did to America when they legalized political bribery. I took a couple of flights this past weekend that reminded me again of the damage Republicans on the Supreme Court did to America when they legalized political bribery. The good news is that there are numerous things Congress can do to undo the court's bizarre doctrine that money is the same thing as free speech and corporations have Bill of Rights, freedoms, and protections as persons. Neither of these rights to bribe by the morbidly rich in corporations were recognized in the early years of our republic. Even today, we're unique among advanced democracies in holding these Supreme Court-created doctrines which underpin much, if not most, of today's political corruption. Congress has never in the history of the United States passed a law saying rich people buying politicians is the same thing as free speech or that corporations have a right to bribe politicians and lie to the public. To the contrary, Congress has passed hundreds of laws which were overturned by these three Supreme Court decisions regulating money in politics and criminalizing political corruption. The court's invention inventing these twin doctrines have even corrupted the other two branches of government leading today to legislative paralysis and erosion of civil and voting rights and widespread public cynicism. The executive branch of our government has done a lot of damage over the past five decades, from Nixon committing treason to blow up LBJ's uh, 1968 peace talks with Vietnam so he could beat Vice President Humphrey in that election, to Reagan's massive tax cuts and defunding of our schools and colleges, to Bush's two illegal and unnecessary $8 trillion wars, to Trump's burning spies by passing classified information along to Russian intelligence while president. The legislative branch has also played a role in most of these fiascos and crimes, as well as the current Republican circus in the House of Representatives. During the Bush presidency, they passed legislation allowing for more pollution, the Clear Skies Act, getting around environmental rules that protect our forests, the Healthy Forests Restoration Act, and defunding the IRS and the EPA, the perennial enemies of the fossil fuel industry and their billionaires who own the GOP. But all the treachery of both branches compels in comparison to the damage the U.S. Supreme Court has done to our country ever since Richard Nixon put Lewis Powell, author of the infamous Powell Memo that told billionaires how to take over American media, courts, colleges, and seize ownership of our politicians, on the court, and it began its long swing to the hard right. In fact, it was Powell's work and influence on the court that made possible the corruption of the executive and legislative branches mentioned above. Most people know that the Republicans on the Supreme Court, beginning with the Powell-Rehnquist eras, began an aggressive war on unions, consumer protections, voting rights, and civil rights. But few realize that those Supreme Court doctrines are also responsible for the death of 2,977 innocent people on 9-11. I flew to Michigan earlier this week because my niece was dying from what I consider medical malpractice in a hospital cutting back on staffing to support the millions paid to its senior executives, another problem facilitated by the Supreme Court, although that's a story for another time. On the flights, though, I again noticed that the cockpit doors were fully hardened, I've been a licensed pilot since 1972, so I tend to notice what's going on with airplanes and jets. The doors to the cockpits were sheathed with what looked like stainless steel, securely locked, and each had a keypad with a secure pin code necessary to gain entry. There's a backstory here that explains everything from the success of the 9-11 attackers to why the train crash in Ohio last week happened and was allowed to poison a community. And it all tracks back to 
corrupt Republicans on the U.S. Supreme Court. Back in the day, if you're old enough to remember or a fan of newspaper archives, there was a rash of hijackings of planes, mostly to Cuba. It got so bad that in December of 1968, kicking off the holiday travel season, Time magazine ran an article titled, What to Do When the Hijacker Comes. Just between 1968 and 1972, there were more than 130 airplane hijackings in the United States. On a few occasions, there were more than one a day. While the hijackings to Cuba and other destinations largely petered out in the early 1970s, passengers crashing cockpit doors persisted for decades. In just the two years before 9-11, for example, there were 30 different times airline cockpits were breached by passengers. In one case in 2000, other passengers restraining a man trying to get a south, to a Southwest Airlines plane's controls accidentally suffocated him to death. A few months later, a British Airways 747 passenger breached the cockpit door, severely bit the captain's ear, disengaged the autopilot, and threw the plane into a 10,000-foot dive before the co-pilot was able to regain control. Airline pilots, their unions, and passenger groups have been begging the airlines to harden their cockpit doors since the 1960s. They were flimsy enough to be kicked in. But doing so would have cost big $100,000 or more per plane, and the airlines really didn't want to spend the money. In 1996, Vice President Al Gore convened the White House Commission on Aviation Safety and Security, and witnesses suggested hardening cockpit doors to securely keep pilots from passengers. Word leaked along with the preliminary report in September of that year, though, and the airline's lobbyists jumped to the task. The Supreme Court, after all, had authorized them to pass out as much money to politicians and their campaigns as they wanted. Vice President Gore quickly backed away from the expensive proposition of hardening airline doors, writing a groveling letter to Carol Hallett, president of the airline's lobbying group, the Air Transport Association, saying, quote, I want to make it very clear that it is not the intent of this administration or of the commission to create a hardship for the air transportation industry, end quote, and adding that the Clinton administration and the airlines could work in full partnership. The next day, according to media reports, TWA donated $40,000, nearly 100000 in today's dollars, to the DNC. Over the following month, American, United, Delta, and Northwest similarly threw money at the Clinton administration. Total haul was, according to the Center for Responsive Politics, $627,000, $1.2 million in today's money. All of this was completely legal. And by then, 21 years after Lewis Powell and his buddies on the Supreme Court had legalized political bribery, pretty routine. Both political parties did it every day, since Internet fundraising wasn't yet a thing, and to paraphrase Willie Sutton, corporations were where the money was. The result was airline doors weren't hardened, so on 9-11, the mostly Saudi hijackers were able to easily breach the cockpits, kill the pilots and co-pilots, and take over the planes. In 1978, in a decision authored by Lewis Powell himself, the majority Republicans on the Supreme Court ruled in their Bilotti decision that corporations giving money to politicians, essentially bribing them, was the same thing as your First Amendment-protected right to free speech. They ruled corporations could bribe politicians with their free speech money because they said corporations are persons and therefore have free speech rights under the First Amendment to the Constitution. 
As a result, by 1996, the airlines could legally shower money on Clinton, Gore, and both parties in Congress, convincing them that requiring airlines to harden their cockpit doors was excessive big government regulation. Which is why, when Mohammed Atta and his married band of, band of Saudis hijacked the airliners on 9-11, they were able to easily make their way into the cockpits, kill the pilots and co-pilots, and fly the jets straight into the World Trade Center and the Pentagon. It's hard to overstate how much damage these corrupt rulings by Republicans on the court, from Buckley and Bellotti in 76-78 to Citizens United in 2010, have done to American democracy, our nation, and our people. With the blessing of the Supreme Court, billionaire ideologues have paid off politicians, most Republicans, but a few problem-solver Democratic shills as well, to gut our private schools to make way for billionaire and church-funded, mostly all-white private schools, privatize public, uh, public electric and water utilities so billionaires can make money on life's essentials, end government subsidies for college to keep education as a bar only wealthy people can easily jump over, keep their own taxes so low that most billionaires pay 3% income taxes or less, raise the Social Security retirement age to 67 and start privatizing Medicare through the Medicare Advantage scam, sell off public lands for pennies on the dollar to mining and drilling interests, fight efforts to force chemical and fossil fuel companies to clean up their own toxic dumps, allow banks, airlines, and hospitals, among others, to nickel and dime us to death, ship our factories and jobs overseas, defund the IRS so it can't afford to audit billionaires, make it harder for low-income workers, folks on Social Security, and students to vote, purge tens of millions of Democratic voters from voting rolls just before elections, the way Jeb Bush handed Florida to his brother with a 537-vote margin after purging 20,000 African Americans from the rolls in the months before November 2000, gerrymander states along racial lines to ensure white rule, and make it hard to break up monopolies. None of these things were supported by a majority of voters. All were gifts to special interests who greased the palms of Congress with cash, legalized by five Republicans on the U.S. Supreme Court. So what can we do about this crisis of our democracy? It turns out there are actually multiple ways Congress can deal with this problem. The first is to subject the Supreme Court to the same ethics rules every other federal judge must follow. For example, Clarence Thomas's wife was directly involved in Trump's effort to overturn the 2020 election, but Thomas, and only Thomas, ruled that Trump's treasonous efforts to stay in the White House, even though he lost the election, should be considered by the court itself. Had there been ethics rules in place, Thomas would have been forced to recuse himself, but the court has held for years that it doesn't want to abide, to abide by such ethical guidelines. Congress has the power to impose ethic rules on the court, for the simple reason that the Constitution puts Congress over the court. Article 3, Section 2 clearly states, The Supreme Court shall have appellate jurisdiction both as to law and fact, with such exceptions and under such regulations, as the Congress shall make. Congress could also regulate the court to mandate live cameras for all proceedings so they'd be available live on the Internet or C-SPAN. But the most powerful and controversial thing Congress could do is to pass legislation stripping from the court the power to proclaim that corporations are persons and money is the same thing as free speech. This is not a wacky left-wing theory, by the way. President Ronald Reagan hired into the White House two well-known right-wing lawyers to try to figure out a way Congress, which Republicans also controlled at the time, 
could overturn the Supreme Court's Brown v. Board desegregation decision and Roe v. Wade, which legalized abortion nationwide. Their names were Samuel Alito and John Roberts, and both were enthusiastic about their mission to get around the Supreme Court's liberal decisions about race and abortion. At the end of this article, I've summarized and quoted Roberts' logic in how Congress about how Congress could blow Citizens United out of the water without amending the Constitution, if you want to get into the nerdy details, which I find fascinating. In summary, though, Roberts argued to Reagan that if they really wanted to press the issue of overturning Brown and Roe, Congress could simply pass legislation citing Article Three, Section 2, specifically saying that Roe and Brown were null and void and that the Supreme Court was exempted from ruling on issues surrounding racial segregation or abortion. If Democrats were to adopt John Roberts' logic, they could go a long way toward stripping out of our political system the money corruption that the Supreme Court introduced with Buckley, Bellotti, and Citizens United. The final two ways the Biden administration and Congress could overturn the court's legalization of political bribery, both of which have been discussed extensively in the media, are, one, to use their power to regulate the court by adding more members. There are 13 circuit courts at the moment, and historically the court often had as many members as there were circuit courts. A 13-member court would probably work far better than its current size. Two, pass a constitutional amendment overturning Citizens United by explicitly declaring that money is not the same thing as speech and corporations are not entitled to protections of persons under the Bill of Rights. This would require the approval of two-thirds of each body of Congress and three-fourths of the states to be put into the Constitution. Neither of these will happen any day soon, particularly given the current composition of Congress. Similarly, it's unlikely Congress or even this administration has much appetite to try Don Roberts' strategy of barring the court from its whole cloth invention of the twin doctrines of corporate personhood and legal political bribery. But the harms continue to accumulate. The Supreme Court, for example, overrode Congress and the President, giving red states the power to opt out of Medicaid expansion and leaving millions without health insurance. They gutted the Voting Rights Act and the Civil Rights Act, keeping Republicans in control of Congress even when Democrats win the majority of votes nationwide. Billionaires pay 3% income taxes with impunity because of these corrupt Supreme Court decisions allowing, allowing billionaires to bribe politicians. We must prepare to act when the opportunity to solve this crisis of our political system presents itself. If American democracy is to become truly functional, if the will of the majority of Americans is to be put into law while corporate and billionaire power are reduced, now is the time to begin working out strategies for the next time Democrats control both Congress and the White House.